Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Samuel 25, 23 through, uh, it's through, I wrote down the wrong one, through 44, the end of the chapter. It's 1 Samuel 25, verses 23 through 44. As I read along, feel free to follow along on the screens or in a Bible that you have. There's also blue Bibles underneath the chair in front of you. Hear from God's word. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell down before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out of the hollow of a sling." And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there would not have been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. She told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I have received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant 
to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was in Galim. This is God's word. At this time, kids ages three through kindergarten are dismissed to the little landing. And you, as you reveal yourself here in this passage, teach us to repent the way David repents. Teach us to value the grace that Abigail represents. Teach us to flee the foolishness of a man like Nabal. And teach us to love you, for you're the hero of David, Abigail, and Nabal. You're the hero of First and Second Samuel, the whole Bible, the whole of human history, and the entirety of all reality. Show yourself so plainly now that every one of us in this room and through live stream and those who hear by recording can say, we have here met with God. Guide my mind into clarity. It is bursting at the seams with things I long to share to this precious body. Guide our hearing with sifting and filtering so that whatever is of man can be discarded and whatever is of God can be cherished. Save the lost through the ministry of the word. Equip the saints to go out from this place in boldness and share freely the good news of the gospel in all settings and in all places and at all times and with all persons. Bring to repentance those who are hanging on to long-term patterns of enslavement to sin. And show us what you are like. Show us your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Western Christianity has been described by Richard Niebuhr as having a God without wrath, bringing men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Richard Niebuhr is right. What you see before us in this passage of 1 Samuel 25, what you see in all the Bible, what you see everywhere in Scripture and the witness of God is that he is a mighty God, good, and therefore because he's good, has wrath against sin And because he is good, has sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, to bear the wrath for sinners, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, in order that we might come into this kingdom trembling that we don't deserve it, but we come receiving it by grace. True biblical Christianity will therefore inhale the joy and the faith of the gospel of God, and it will exhale the repentance of sin constantly. Your your life as a Christian is defined by you just taking in a big, rich, deep breath 
from God and, and finding that it expels and repulses everything that's unholy, everything that's sinful in you. And you just want to keep breathing. <sighs> Mask-free breathing. That's what the Christian life is like. And, and yet, as Niebuhr said, it's so very common that we minimize the very thing that causes Christian life to be so full of joy. We cut off in the knees, at the knees, the habit of repentance, and we don't hardly talk about it. You can't find hardly any hymns about it or songs about it. You can't find any sermons about it. You don't hardly find repentance talked about at all. That's why Niebuhr made this quote, wrote this quote. What if repentance is the very thing that God invites you to do for all his joy to come back? What if repentance is the thing he's given you to say, I'm going to chase after you so that you turn from your sin and that you come to me and find all the joy that you seem to be missing? See, here's the raw reality. If you are not repenting of sin as often as you exhale in your Christian life, then sin is overtaking you. And your joy is almost on life support. If you're not regularly repenting before God and others when that's necessary, then sin is overtaking you. Right now, you can be in a worship service, sing the songs we sang, you can be listening to a sermon, you can pray, you can take the Lord's table, you can have all the look, you can have all the actions, you can have all the outward appearance, and sin can be overtaking you if there isn't repentance in your heart. One of my heroes... John Owen, a Puritan from the 1600s, wrote this famous sentence that finds its way into the inside flap of lots and lots of Bibles. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Sin is like uh, a massive dinosaur. I just learned about Giganotosauruses. I think that's how you say it. Biggest T-Rex mean as lots of other ones, super powerful, runs really fast. And just imagine sin like that 13-ton Giganotosaurus clicking right outside your tent flap and huffing on the flap of your tent. Genesis 4-7 says to Cain, God's word, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. The Bible calls it in the New Testament the flesh. Sin is expressed in the devil, the world, and the flesh. But the flesh is so big. The world we can keep at bay, but the flesh is so knee-jerk. It's so immediate. It's so reactionary. It so uh, senses injustice everywhere, and it so latches on every possibility that somebody somewhere has done something wrong to me, and it feels completely justified in rearing its ugly head. The flesh is so devastating to the Christian life. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Paul writes about believers in Romans 6, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, so dinosaur, has a massive harness on it, and chains are emanating connected to that harness and emanating out behind it. And those chains go around the neck of people like me. 
The flesh rules as a slave master over me and you. Paul writes, You were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, that's the gospel to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Rescue me, Jesus. Rescue me from myself. Rescue me from myself to which my neck is chained. The name of the dinosaur is me. Paul goes on in verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and and eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All who are in Christ are regularly confessing sin to him regularly confessing sin to him as frequently as we exhale and the joy of repentance is rushing back into us. Luke 15 10, just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The reason why we have joy when we confess sin and repent is because God has joy when we confess sin and repent. Luke 15 10 says the angels of God have joy before them. Who are they looking at and who's before them? God. God's delighting in our repentance. They're looking at him and going, God's happy again. Must be sinners repenting. The angels rejoice with the lead rejoicer of heaven who is himself God. So we pray with Paul in Acts 3, or rather with Peter in Acts 3, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that one of the sweetest verses in the Bible? That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed to you, even Jesus. So when Abigail, the wife of Nabal, in all her rushing, do you notice how many times she hurries? It's like five or six times the Bible says, Abigail's rushing around. She hurries to take the the belongings that belonged to David that Nabal should have paid him but refused to and she hurries to take them doesn't tell Nabal and she goes to David and she catches him when he's on this revengeful hateful avenging mission to kill Nabal and all the males in his household she's rushing around she's hurrying she hurries all through the chapter And I was reflecting yesterday, why does she hurry? What's the hurry for? Why is it repeated? It's like five times she's hurrying. And then it dawned on me, of course, this is the representative of God coming to David to say, I'm going to chase you down that you would repent of your sin. So I'm picturing God rushing to me and saying, here's what I want you to repent of. It's like the prodigal son and the father running down the driveway when he sees the prodigal son returning. This is God rushing to help me repent of the sin that's robbing me of the joy that I'm so missing. So if God were rushing into your life right now, if the Holy Spirit like a wind would just blow you over, what would he say? What would he tell you about? What would he point out in your life and say, it's this that grieves me so and is separating you from everyone around you and is dividing you from yourself. I love the rushing of Abigail. It's a picture of what God is like as he chases down his beloved ones to help them with their most urgent need to repent. You see here in this second half of the chapter that Andrew just read what true repentance looks like. Watch David repent. 
You can tell the whole point why this chapter is in this whole book. You saw last chapter, Saul say he was sorry and that David was a more righteous man than him because David didn't cut Saul's throat, he cut his cape. So Saul said, yeah, you beat me. In this this race for who's better, I guess you won that round. So when you get to the finish line become king, just remember me. This wasn't repentance in Saul. It might look like it because we're so very used to inclining towards someone who sounds uh, like they're capitulating and surrendering, but it wasn't repentance in Saul. And you can tell by the actions after Saul that it wasn't repentance at all. Now, by contrast, you're looking at David, and this is how to repent. Husbands, this is how to repent to your wives. Wives, this is how to repent to your husbands. Children, this is how to repent to your parents. This is how to repent to your friends and to your enemies. This is how real, true repentance looks when it's after God's glory and the joy that is always designed by God to follow and renew after repentance. Three brief observations about David's repentance. First, true repentance always blesses God. True repentance always blesses God. Look at David's response. You can imagine him standing on the path toward Nabal's house. He's got his men. They've got their swords. They're breathing like war horses. They've got the hand on the hilt of their sword, and they are ready to draw blood from Nabal, who did not pay them what he owed them for their protection of his sheep. And then rushing right up to David is this woman that he doesn't hardly know. She's beautiful, and she's discerning, and she's wise, and she's rushing right to him. She heard him say how he plans to Uh, exact a vengeance against her husband Nabal, and she rushes up to him, makes this plea not for Nabal. (laughs) She does not try to soft-pedal Nabal and say, oh, oh, he's just got acid indigestion. No, she says he's a fool. That's what his name means. But he is a fool, and he acts like one, and he seems to be hardened against any thought of repentance. No, she says, it's not like you, David. I'm treating you like a king, and you're not acting like a king. It's not like God, your God, and it's not like you, and it's not good for anyone if you exact vengeance. You're going to be taking salvation into your own hands and not leaving it where it belongs in God's. David responds to her in verse 32. Can just imagine him take off his sword from his belt, lay it down, look into this face of this woman kneeling right in front of him and seeing and hearing in her words the very voice of God. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. David sees in Abigail God sending her to him. David hears in her words God talking. When someone comes and points out your sin, are you immediately ready to say, I think I have heard from God. That's not my first reaction when somebody points out my sin. It never has been. I doubt that it ever will be. (laughs) But I want it to be. I want to be the person who says, God, I'm blessing. I'm worshiping you. I'm blessing you because you're talking to me through this person right now. 
You're pointing out an area of sin in me that has divided me away from you. It's divided me away from other people. And it has caused me to be divided with myself. Look at it further down in verse 34. David speaks of God even more fully. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, he takes an oath, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. God stopped David in his sin. It wasn't just that he didn't let David sin at all. Most of our sin, the vast majority of our sin is inside of us. The vast majority of our sin is our hearts. No one ever sees it. Who dares give a number? But the vast majority of sin is deep inside. It's not a list of actions I do, which are sin, mainly. It's not a list of good things I forget to do, mainly, which are sin. It's my heart. It's my disposition toward God. Here's David. Not sinning overtly with his sword, but oh, sin was raging in his heart. She had said that earlier, that it was the Lord who's restraining David from blood guilt. And so David worships the Lord. Repentance, my dear brothers and sisters at the landing, is where you say, my time with God is so sweet. My knowledge of my salvation is so good. My joy in the Lord is so great that this sin is keeping me from all that, and I miss God. I am lonely for God. Why in the world do I hang on to this stupid little grudge, or this plan to justify my own actions, or this effort at managing my reputation, or this angry little word that's stuck in my head that doesn't let me sleep at night when all it does is it keeps me from being who I am knowing the fellowship of unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ and best of all having sweet fellowship with my God and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness God may perhaps Grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Abigail is a gift from God in front of David because repentance is a gift from God to David. You have Abigails in your life. Some of you are running like crazy from the Abigails in your life, but you have them. God's Grace is pursuing you through people who love you so much that they will talk this way to you. The way Abigail spoke to David. Might be a stranger. Might be your wife. Might be your parents. Might be your husband. Might be someone that you email with. Might be a Christian brother, sister who lives on the other side of the world. Might be a sentence out of a sermon. Sentence out of a book. David was a man after God's own heart, and his plan to avenge himself and his 600 with their swords by their side was sin, and it was rooted in a plan of sin within his heart, 
And God was exposing that through the kindness and the grace and the tenderness and the sweetness of someone who was running with the beautiful feet, bringing good news to David from a kind and pursuing God who does not sit back and let us run endlessly in our sin. When he does that, it's judgment on that person unto eternity. But for his own, he's pursuing us. He's drawing after us. He's coming in front of us and he's stopping us and he's hindering us. Oh, precious hindrance when you are making plans to set your face towards sin. So David writes, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? The main definition of biblical confession and repentance of sin is God is just too precious to me to keep leaving him aside. He's just too good to me to let my sin divide me from him. So I will turn away from the foolish, counterfeit, toxic poison of this sin in order to feast at the banquet table of my God. Second, true repentance always blesses the one who speaks for God. (laughs) Do you think of doing that when someone comes and tells you about your sin? I'm going to bless God and then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless God and then I'm going to bless you. That's what David does. Look at verse 33. Talking to Abigail. Blessed be your discretion, your wisdom. He recognizes the wisdom of what she says. And blessed be you. He blesses her. He doesn't even know her. For all he knows, she might be in league with her husband, and this might be some kind of a scam, some kind of a distraction, some kind of a trap. He doesn't even really know her, except in the discretion and wisdom of what she has already said. She's already affirmed his royalty and his anointing as king. She's already affirmed the glories of God, and he has heard God speak through her. So he says, blessed be your discretion, person who has come to point out my sin. And blessed be you, you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. He doesn't curse her. He doesn't dismiss her. He doesn't upbraid her. He blesses her for being used of God boldly and humbly to restrain him from acting on his sinful intent. You notice the little phrase? I read over it quickly in verse 34. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, it's almost, like, it's almost like at that moment, and here's my imagining of what's happening between David and Abigail, it's almost like David is seeing with his, with his men and their swords, and now he recognizes this is Nabal's wife. If he goes back and kills Nabal, she's a widow. If he goes back and kills Nabal and all his male uh, household members, then she's losing faithful messengers and servants and maybe family members. who has restrained me from hurting you. It's like God's eyes are open, or God's opening David's eyes to see that his sin is not only dividing him from this sweet fellowship with God, but his sin is causing him to hurt people he has no reason to hurt. He's becoming a Saul-like person. He's going down to the very level of Nabal. Verse 35 shows that when they part, David received from her hand all that she had brought him. She brought him all those foodstuffs and blessed David with them. He received them, and then he said to her, go up in peace to your house. I am not coming after you. I am not lying to you. I am not planning a secret uh, uh, 
uh, raid that surprises you. I will not kill your husband. I will not kill you. And I will not harm the males in your household. I am David and I am telling you, go up in peace. See, I have obeyed your voice. I've granted your petition. This is what repentance looks like. This is what repentance looks like. It says, I'm not going to hold a grudge against you for telling me about my sin. I am not going to withhold my peace from you for being the one to point out my sin. I am not going to be resentful. I am not going to be angry and bitter and and nurse grudges for decades because you were the one God used to point out lovingly my sin. I want you to see something glorious happening here. You've heard me say in this message already two or three times, and I'll be saying it at least two or three times again, sin separates us from God. That's the worst part of it. Sin harms one another. That's really bad. And sin divides us from ourselves. Do you feel how deep that is? Let me show you where I get it. He just said to her, in the moment of his repentance, bless God, bless you, and go in peace. Do you remember what he told his servants to tell Nabal way back at the beginning of the chapter? Way back at the beginning of the chapter, David said, tell Nabal, peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Then David fell into his warlike sinful path, his sinful intent. Abigail kept him from acting on it by God's grace. Now he returns to who he is. And he says to Abigail, peace. David's coming back to himself. Repentance restores our relationship with God. Repentance restores our unity with one another. And repentance brings us back to ourselves. Here's David, the king of peace. He'll rule in a city called Jerusalem. God is my peace. So faithful are the wounds of a friend yet profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, Peter says, since love covers a multitude of sins. James says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, someone brings him back, like Abigail. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The saddest scenario in the world is a so-called Christian, a Christian, who is utterly, because of their sin and the sins of others, in a complex mix of toxic error, is divided and separate from God, from others, and even though they're with themselves all the time, they're divided from themselves. Here David speaks peace, because that's what he spoke at the beginning. He's a man of peace. Bless God when someone loves you enough to come to you and say, there is an impulse in you that doesn't seem to fit with who I know you to be. Bless God because God's returning himself to you. God's restoring himself to you by that person's words. Bless that person and all that they say. Bless the, the hard word they may have to bring. Bless your good friend who loves you enough to care for your soul. Bless the good act of love that they bring and all the results from it. Submit to the wise truth of whatever they have said and then pronounce upon them your peace. 
promising there is following after them no resentment or bitterness. Oh, how we long, don't we, to be in a community of people that are caring for one another like that. Test the Lord and see if he doesn't supply all your needs the next time you are charged with, by the Holy Spirit with repentance. Test the Lord to see if he doesn't come rushing to supply. This is my final observation. True repentance blesses God. True repentance blesses the one who speaks for God. And finally, true repentance celebrates the joy of God's refreshing. True repentance celebrates the joy of God's refreshing. David got to receive all the food that he and his friends need. They immediately had a feast, a meal. Abigail returns back to her husband Nabal, and he's having a feast and a meal as well. It says he's acting like a king. Do you see the incongruity here? You should see this. This is what the writer wants you to feel and see and ponder maybe for the rest of the week or the rest of your life or the rest of eternity. Nabal is a foolish man, and here he has no idea what his wife Abigail has done. He would kill her probably if she, she found, he found out what she did. He's drunk as can be, which is always in the Bible a sign of the wrath of God on someone. So the wrath of God is settling on Nabal while he's feasting like a king. So here's a fool under the wrath of God pretending to be a king. Which describes all kinds of people in our culture. (laughs) But me too sometimes. A fool under the wrath of God pretending to be a king. And for a short while, here is God's anointed king who just for a few hours maybe was pretending to be a fool. Oh, praise the Lord when he stops you in your foolishness. And he causes you to repent and turn. Look at, look at what joy David celebrates. He receives from this beautiful woman the very payment that he had asked from Nabal that he wasn't willing to give, and now she supplies it. And he receives God's voice of repentance from her, and he hears it and he blesses it. If nothing else, he has found a a deep and sweet friend and ally in Abigail. But it goes deeper. Do you remember the prophecy that was embedded in Abigail's words? In verse 29, she said, You're going to be bundled among all the living. The Lord is going to keep you protected and safe among all the living. And then she said, And the lives of your enemies, God shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. So think with me about this. David knows all about slings. He's a shepherd. He lived by one. Goliath died by one. He knows all about slings. She says, God has a sling. God has a sling like the great good shepherd he is. He has a sling. And he's going to take all your enemies, David, and he's going to put them inside the hollow of that sling. And he's going to whip it around his head. And he's going to let one end go. And whizz out go the enemies of David. Dizzy and dead. Not just dead asleep. Dead, dead. For eternity. Perishing. That's what she says about David's enemies. Now look at this victory God's giving to David. Verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. 
So you can imagine, she's fearful of what her husband is going to say and do. She probably thinks she's going to die. She took a tremendous risk going to David and giving him all that she gave him and contramanding her husband's wishes. Almost assuredly, she's planning on dying. So she waits until the next morning. Verse 37, in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things and his heart died within him and he became a stone. Probably had a stroke. But now this enemy becomes a stone. The very thing you put in slings and whiz away. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Hannah, a generation ago, said this would happen. God will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail, the adversaries of the Lord, to be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So Paul writes to the Galatians and to us, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will also he reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So David receives not only his feast, but he receives the very thing that his heart was set on, and that's the death of Nabal. Look at how David responds in verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, he worships again, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. It's a sober joy, but it's a real joy. When unbelievers die who have hated Christ, hated Christ's people, and have lived lives of foolishness, and had, have had warning after warning, patiently, extensively, mercifully God has called them to himself, and yet they've refused. They have chosen, rather, paths of sin and of wickedness and of unrighteousness. So without sinning in heaven, where it's impossible to sin any longer, those who gather around the throne will hear of the judgment of God against all sinners, described as Babylon. In Revelation 19, listen to what they do. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupt the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. It's a sober reality, but a biblically sweet reality that David here receives the victory that God achieved for him, the salvation of taking Nabal. David also receives as a final reward for his repentance, and it has great joy mingled in with it, a wife. He looks at Abigail and he says, I'm going to marry you. He looks at Abigail and he says, I have found my equal. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. Now, she's a widow. 
Look at verse 40. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. She doesn't run away. She doesn't go another direction. She doesn't say, he is way too arrogant. He has no clue what he's talking about. Tell him no. She rose and bowed with her face to the ground to the messengers and said, Behold, your handmaid, she calls herself a handmaid, is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried again and rose and mounted a donkey. And her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. I think she was happy to do it. I think she was happy to do it. I could tell she's happy to do it because she so quickly bowed low and honored the messengers. She's, she's clearly delighting in David because she calls herself his handmaid. That's exactly what Mary calls herself to God when the angel Gabriel says, you're going to bear the son of God in your womb. That's exactly the word that Hannah took for herself in prayer when she said, I am your handmaid, Lord, when she was praying for the miracle of a child. This is Abigail bearing the same joyful, humble, God-glorifying character as so many in Scripture. And then she rises hurriedly, she mounts a donkey, and she doesn't tell her five friends to stay back. She says, no, you're coming with me. This is not an elopement. This is a wedding. This is a party. Let's celebrate. So a godly, sin-afflicted, abused, fool-victimized wife, now a widow, is married by God's appointed king. Just like the church of Jesus Christ is preserved and protected through all our Nabal-like struggles, and we have more to come, I think. Still, David represents Christ here. He will come and he will marry his church in what this Lord's table is a promise pointing toward, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here it is on display, David as someone who suggests to the whole Bible reader a foreshadow of Christ, and he receives to himself this beautiful and discerning and godly and wise and joyful woman, Abigail, whose very name, my father is joy, has been used by God to bring back repentant joy to David. Are you so bold today to end your day before sleep tonight, asking the Lord this in prayer? Lord, would you quickly rush to me and reveal to me anything and everything for which I must repent? My challenge to you is this. Repent well when someone comes to you. Look at the Abigails around you and like David, repent well. Bless God, bless them and receive all the joys that tumble upon repentance. But begin, begin with a quiet prayer between you and the Lord, and before the sun goes down and your eyes fall asleep, say, Lord, would you reveal to me anything and everything for which I must repent? And then let the joy flow freely like a river down upon your household and your marriage and your family and your friendships, and this church family, and believers around the world, let joy flow like a mighty river upon us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Abigail and David, and I thank you for the way their lives point me and us to you. I thank you so much for the privilege we have to 
celebrate now at the Lord's table the pursuit that you engaged with toward us to gather us when we were running away from you in sin. We thank you for the bread and the cup. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you by taking something into our mouths, which is a precious reminder and symbol of what we've already taken into our hearts. Lord, I thank you so much that Abigail's are welcome at this table. Those who know you, those who love you, and are known by you. I thank you so much that David's are welcome at this table. Those who have had so much from you, and yet must confess, we are prone to wander. And there is habits and reactions of sin in our life that threaten to overtake us. If we're not killing those habits, those habits will be killing us. And I'm so glad that this table welcomes Nabal's. Any hardened, God-despising fools who this hour would repent and can say that they have trusted in Christ and come out of a life of foolishness and rejection of God, even Nabal's can be saved. Having been saved, they are as welcome as Abigail's and David's into the house of the living God. Lord, would you assemble around this table those who have known you in heart that we might taste and see that you are good in our mouths. We bless and praise you for the opportunity to now worship you at the table. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Elders, would you join me as we distribute these elements? If you're a believer, welcome to this table. Thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, uh, giving us the opportunity to share together with you the great joys of the table and share with you the unity that this table signifies. If you are not yet trusting in Christ, let these elements pass by you. The scriptures are so clear. They are for those who have a, a memory, a remembrance of God actually having worked in their hearts so that there isn't a element of judgment, which 1 Corinthians 11 makes so plain on those who would take of the elements without having known Christ first. Let instead the words that you've seen in 1 Samuel 25 and other passages of Scripture be the food that you feed on while these elements pass by you, that this might be the day that you are born again and trust in Him. We begin first with the bread and then with the cup. Howard, I'm going to ask if you'll ask a blessing over the bread, please. Well, Father, thank you for your sweet, sweet word that was just preached to us in boldness. We thank you for uh, what you've done uh, through the cross, through your son's work on the cross to bring us to repentance and faith that you have washed away our sins as you put them onto your son and punished them for once for all eternity. And now we are reconciled to you as children, sons and daughters of the King. We thank you for this opportunity to reflect on our own sin, 
We do pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us areas in our lives that we need to repent, confess our sin, and repent, and to know that that brings you great joy as it restores our relationship with you and those around us and even within our own spirit and mind. Father, we praise you and we thank you for the gift of repentance. Let it be true for each one in the room today, perhaps even for the first time. Help us to respond to what Jesus has done for us on the cross in this sweet act of repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.